You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, brought to you by Go Wild. Now, the Go Wild app has added some really cool and exciting functionality to their app. And the first one I want to talk about is the Near Me function. And basically what this does, it allows you to engage and connect with people in your area. You guys can talk about gear. You guys can talk about hunting areas. You guys can talk about what's going on in the woods. And it just allows the users to be more of a community and connect easier. The second part is the gearbox and what the gearbox is it is a an opportunity for the users to not only see reviews on products and see what the go wild community is using in the field what products they're using but it also allows you guys to purchase up to 150,000 products there's you, there's a shopping function on it so Check out the Go Wild app. If you haven't downloaded it to your phone yet, you need to, and you can do that at any app store that is currently available. Go Wild. It's an awesome app. Check them out. Welcome to the Land and Legacy podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. Hey guys, welcome back to the Land of Legacy podcast. Whoa, whoa. Adam here. That's you. We always start softer. Yeah, I know. Um, because when we are recording on Sunday nights, your daughter's sleeping. my daughter's always fast asleep, asleep in and the there's, room next there's door. two walls in between us. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so uh, we start out lower and then we get a little louder and then eventually we she's, just, she's off to bed an hour later in the podcast. And yeah. All good. All but good. Um, uh, interesting times, but also interesting uh, fun times for Food Plot World. You know, oh, yeah. A lot of food yeah. plots gone in the ground now. There's still guys cranking it out and hammering it out. We still haven't. We finished up most of ours. Actually, Chad yeah, did. <laughs> Chad. Um, Chad came in. Because. Pitch hitter. Yeah, yep. Be, well, frankly, because um, Mr. Government Employee and all this <laughs> shutdown stuff, he's got all the time in the world, and we're over here still 
consulting like crazy. So I don't know how many states in the last week and a half we've been to, but it's been a bunch. Yeah, and I leave for Texas this week. Yep, I'll be in and Arkansas. Then Ohio the next. Virginia for me. And then Iowa the week after that. Yep, yep. So. All over. But, hey, it's a good thing, and it's a fun thing. And it means that, honestly, there's a lot of acres being improved out there by where we're going, where yep. we're, what we're seeing. And uh, we know that people are getting the right knowledge to be able to then take it. Save some time, it. save oh, some money, yeah. but make big results. Oh, yeah, no doubt. But it is a cool time for food plots because it's definitely like a, a transitional, as we're going to talk about later on the podcast, but it's like a lot of spring annual stuff's going in, but we can't forget about what's been happening, what's occurred right now in a lot of food plots. And, yep. and it's so missed. It's Everyone's like... Beans, corn, beans, corn, beans, corn. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Beans, corn, brassicas. Yeah. It's like, whoa, 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 guys. Like, you can't forget about what's happening right now in the ground, in your food plots. Like, hopefully, there's a lot of good things. And and if your food plots are just toasted right now, um, you missed out. Yeah. You missed out on a lot of cool stuff. Yep. Um, before we get started, though, we want to thank one of our partners who helped make this podcast possible. Yeah. You know, we signed up with these guys, I forget how many years ago now, three, three something four. like that, yeah. and uh, they be, they came on with us early, gave us a huge opportunity to help develop some blends, or basically take knowledge that we gained over past years, even before that, mm-hmm. probably 10 years ago, and then put it into a blend with them, or multiple blends with these guys, so it's Stratton Seed out of Stuttgart, Arkansas, really come on the scene with some awesome blends. Um, awesome soybeans, forage soybeans, Roundup Ready. Um, but one of the big things that I love about Stratton Seed is great product, great price. Like, it's not a great price. It's like a fantastic price. Uh, almost unmatched to my yeah, knowledge. To, uh, absolutely. And and it's, it's tough to find that with a quality product too. Um, so therefore, it's like that's right in a wheelhouse. That's what we always talk about efficiency, time saving. It's a great blend and a great... Uh, company to be able to use for food plots for sure so you and you guys can go check them out at com. new updated website where one of the biggest things i think that people can really um, be a part of of this movement and great great seed great pricing is click in the top left the dealer map and if there's not a dealer near mm-hmm. you consider becoming a dealer for stratton seed be a great way to get your food plot. If you sell enough, you could have your food plot seed paid, paid for, for sure. easily. Or, or um, go to your local dealer or your local seed guy and say, hey, yeah. there's not competition for this product here in the area. I want it. I've got buddies who want it. It'd be great for you to start. And there's not a real um, big application to become a sure. dealer for Stratton. Yep. It's easy. And they're looking for guys. So go check it out at gostrattonseed.com. All right, so this week, um, it honestly, the I, title, I, it's I, "Open Your Eyes, You're a Land Manager." Yeah, that's what you want to call it. That's huh? what I want to call it. Okay, open your because, eyes, you're a land manager. Because you're like, there's so many things you need to open your eyes that we'll talk about that we've seen over the past couple of years kind of come to a head now. But then this time frame in a in a very micro level where we talk food plots. We've got to be watching, looking, and how many times do we just get to the farm, go, we miss out on so many different 
key time frames and things that we need to be picking up on. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the big missed ones is not learning your plants. Oh, gosh. Where it's like... <laughs> Foundation. Step yeah. one. Step, Step one. one. We at least need to know what we're walking through. There's no way to manage a plant that you don't know even what its name is, much yeah. less its cycles. and, and Or its native range. Yeah. It, it's... And we're not saying, guys, you have to be a botanist level here. But if you know, like, the most common 20 um, herbaceous stuff and then the com- most 20 or 10 common trees you in your area. You could do 80 grit management or 80 grit mindset with your plants. Yeah. Go out in the field, find the top three. Learn yes. those. Go yes. to your woods, find the top three. Yes. And it, it, learn if they're good, valuable, good, bad, valuable, whatever. Like, that is skill numero uno the yeah. foundation to be able to then make your decisions you know later on about but like it's have sad that. how i almost hesitate to say this but i'm going to give a little bit of motivation for people hopefully you don't have to learn many to catch up with some of the people out there giving advice giving advice (laughs) on what plants are out there or what role they play or if they're good or bad Mm -hmm. how many times do we see a native species that although may not have the big broadcasted really good top quality top quality characteristic that we may key in on a beneficial native species gets dogged mm-hmm. while a non-native gets promoted. Yeah. It's yeah. sad, mm-hmm. really. And that's why we're in business, because so much of our mindset and so much of our information kind of is, is going a different direction. We're trying yeah. to work with nature, not against it. it, it I like, don't know how many times you've got to say that, but <laughs> till we're blue in the face. Uh, well, we're going to keep saying it, because here's the other thing. Not only are you at the, at the root of it, and this is where I think the message just can be boiled down into a very quick, small nutshell. If you're managing or trying to promote native fauna on your place, animals on your place, mm-hmm. right? Then you should probably be promoting and managing for native flora as well. Yeah. Like, like they coexist together and they have they for decades. And Mother Nature. together. Yes. Mother Nature has always worked at this same way. And so yeah. we better learn to work in that same method if we want to see faster, quicker, better results. It only is, I mean, it's just common sense. Man, it is. But we have to it, open our eyes. We have to. It's just one of those things that you know, we've said this before, but if you want to look at deer management, land management, bird management, bee management, whatever you yeah. want to call it, you could simplify it, in my opinion, by saying, okay, go out and identify what plants are native, what plants are non-native. Yep. Remove the non-native ones, and if you have 10 native ones, make 20. Put 20 mm-hmm. on there. Plant 10 others, and just mm-hmm. add as much diversity as possible. Yeah. Change your disturbance, and then yeah. maybe you'll have a few more pop up. But ab- absolutely, absolutely. I, I was thinking about this earlier today as we were kind of prepping. When I say prepping, the five minutes before. We, we often get asked, what is the most valuable tool as a land manager that you should go out and purchase? Chainsaw, drip torch, a drill, a sprayer, all this stuff. And those don't amount to a hill of beans if you can't 
observe what's happening at the foundation first, first and yeah. foremost. If you if you don't know and you can't see, like put on wildlife habitat goggles. If you can't see and observe critically what's happening on your property, then you don't know what tool is the best for or that's going to get you a change if you don't know that there needs to be a change in the first place. Like yeah. you have to be able to see that and and as good as they are you see too many landowners only focusing on observing through chill camera observations or simply riding around in a UTV on a road system. Like that's it. Yeah. That's the the majority 80% of time spent observing a property should not be either trail camera observations or on a buggy driving. If you're not out walking your property, get off of the road, get off the road and walk it. You have to know what's happening outside of these areas. If you don't, you're missing the bulk of your property where actually game species are living and persisting. I don't even know what amount of property you would be seen if if you just like acres wise of you know if you're just driving your farm if you take my family farm 282 acres and you base it off of roads <laughs> you'd see 10% i think yeah i mean and you would see probably, any of it probably the majority of the farms but man like it it, it you cannot make critical in the field observations and management decisions from a UTV or an aerial or a food plot, uh, a, a trail camera image with the food plot in the background. You cannot accurately do that. And so we have to use our eyes and then our feet to get out and walk. I, I think that as much as we love and talk about roads on a property, whether you're hunting it, whether you're managing off the roads, whether you are trying to resell a property, a road's are a huge asset. A UTV, same thing. You've got to be able to move around your property and do it uh, effectively, and they're a great tool for the management side of things. But if pairing those together, that's what you're spending the bulk of your time on, driving around, you're missing the point. You're missing missing the opportunity to, to truly manage a property for what it is if you stay on the road system. I think some of it is... One, don't know how to go in and identify these species and make these observations, one. But then two, it's like, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna bump or I'm going to disturb that area. It's a sanctuary. You can't manage it, and it's not a sanctuary. It's only a sanctuary if if the right species are there where deer want to be at. And, and I think are too many cover. times people use sanctuary as a, a sanctuary is occurring because I don't go in there. Yeah, yeah. And... That's possible. It's like part. It's like it's like. But one it aspect takes of it. it takes way more acreage of low quality habitat mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to be a sanctuary as it does high quality diverse habitat with lots of. So what you're saying is you might have a 40 acre section that you're like I never go in there. Even though it's low quality, I know deer come in and out, but it takes 40 acres for them to feel comfortable because the cover's so crappy. Because you, you crossed it. Whereas a five-acre clear cut and you never go in there. Absolutely. five acres, and it's way better, more secure, 100%. better 100%. Yeah. 
100%. Too many times do I see advice or people talking about, yeah, this is a sanctuary. Well, what makes it a sanctuary? Mm-hmm. I don't go in there. Well, that's that's you're missing it. How you're many, missing how, the boat. How many other properties around you have a sanctuary just like that? Yeah. You might as well a call bunch. all my, all my neighbors yeah. sanctuaries. Because they don't ever go and manage anything. Yeah. They just show up during deer season. So essentially, it's it's a sanctuary. The whole property is a sanctuary. Congratulations. It's, it's not set out from anything else. But we have to get out there. We cannot be afraid to go into those areas and see what's happening. Like, And I, I know we didn't, we didn't talk about this, I guess, pre-show, but you would certainly agree. But when when you're walking a property for the first time and there hasn't been, let's say, disturbances, whether it's logging operations, whether it's prescribed fire, um, whether it's spraying, whatever whatever it is. Say yep. that property is just homogenous from the edge of the timber all the way to the next field. We'll go with the top five disturbances. Burning, logging, grazing, mm-hmm. disking, herbicide. Yeah. So let's say it hasn't had any of that. Generally speaking, let's say you walk a 40-acre section, and it's the same thing. No disturbance have, have occurred on this property, on that 40-acre section. When you walk in there, you could probably walk to the other side and and walk it very fast because you don't have diversity. You don't have differences in plant communities. You don't have um, differences in structure. You don't have variety in just species itself. It's all the same. But, but what happens if now, as a consultant, you get there and this landowner's like, well, I took this 40-acre section. I did two three-acre clear cuts. I did a thinning over here. I only burned this section last year. That section over here has had uh, four years after fire. How many more hours is it going to take to walk that 40-acre section? Because you, you have to go and you have to spend time and monitor the responses on that 40 acres. So so a property that has not been disturbed is so much faster walk because it's all the same. I mean, it, 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 from from a perspective of a wildlife, whether you're looking through those eyes or if you want to try and get in our heads and walk in our shoes for a day, I'm going to buzz right through it because it's all the same. It's 90% of the property, so we walk. Yeah. Is that right there? Yeah. We go to the timber. And we're on the buggy or we're on a four-wheeler or we're walking and we're on the road. And we say, okay, let's let's poke our nose in over there. We walk over there. Do, do a and loop. We, and we kind of we stand at the crest of the hill and we look through the timber. And we turn around, walk back to the road. Uh, our clients that are listening, this is not a burn on you guys. Oh, no, but no, But that's no, kind of a sign that if we walk out and say, okay, yeah, no, I've seen it. That means that there's not enough disturbance, there's not enough change, there's not enough diversity within that area for us to go. Because I'll guarantee you there's guys that are listening that have hired us to get to to come to their property, and there's been a spot we've said, what is that over there? Mm-hmm. And, they, and they'll and they say, well, something occurred there. Yeah. I want to go see that. Yes. And that's to. when, okay, I see have something to. different about over there. Yeah. Not too long ago, I was on a property where the timber was all pretty much the same, mm-hmm. and kind of... And I and I pointed I pointed over the hill and I said, "What is that down there? Why am I seeing way more sun?" Yeah. Oh well, before I brought the property, there was a clear cut or something that happened down there. Let's go see it. And I said, "I gotta go see that." Yeah. I walked over there and it was like clear cut minus ten years, fifteen years, mm-hmm. where it was ten to fifteen foot tall stems yeah. just everywhere. everywhere. And it's like, yeah. 
I wish I was here five years ago when we could have controlled this e- fire. M- yeah. better. Mm-hmm. But this is still something, you know, we, we're going for more of this mm-hmm. in areas because I can tell you right now that if there's a mature buck on this rel- in this relatively small area, yeah. he's going to pick that over what we're standing on. Oh. For sure, for sure. Even Wh- though there's just more stems, yeah. Even though there's a 500 acre yeah. sanctuary, yeah. This two acres right here is better mm-hmm. than what we're. St- if we took 500 acres of this, mm-hmm. this two acres is better because there's more. Even though it's more stems, there's a heat map of his activity right there. Yeah, it's because even though those stems uh, aren't really providing tons of forage, they are providing better cover than a wide open. Oh understory easy, so easy 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 there, there's no doubt about it. and again this is this is not at any way shape or form uh, um, a, a dig on, on people who spend a lot of time on the buggy but if you want to make the property optimal you have to have to get out on the property there's there's places that we've been to people like, I haven't been over there for three years I've never even been on this portion of the property how do you manage it effectively if you, if you've not been here, yeah. or, or do you, or that you've never experienced what's growing here? You have to be very, very intimate about the property, not only where you're at on the farm, but also what's growing in every single area. I was I was on a place um, in Oklahoma last week, and it it was it, I always loved this because when you're in an area that like has the potential to be extremely diverse from from the eco regions there you change elevation every little bit you get different little rock outcroppings depth of soil aspects on the slope the species that are there completely change so he's like let's let's go to this this area it's down the bottom over there i really love it went over there and all that we had seen prior to getting there tree species or woody species wise was winged elm post oak and blackjack essentially on all the ridge tops we dropped down here i was i think there was five or six different oak species there was there was bur oak there was a chinkapin there was red oak there was post oak there was blackjack i mean it was yeah. just like it just dramatically changed and it was like i could have looked at an aerial or I could have chosen as it was raining that day not to walk over there but if I had tried to make a recommendation of what to do I would have missed out on four different types of just just tree species that were growing there not not even mentioning forbs and the cool season grasses that were there native ones and it's like oh you have to walk mm-hmm. and then and then when you're walking you have to use your eyes to observe what's there to know what's happening on a place. Where yeah. where do I need to then go take an inventory? Where do I go from here in the management of this area? Well, and if you don't know, we're here to help. But but if you're trying to, to, to make those decisions on your own, you, you can't do it. For, you cannot do it from a buggy. No. And, and I'll, I'll use an example of sometimes, too, when you do your walking at the same time of the year, Every single year? Every year? Yeah, yeah. Let's say... Shed hunting. Shed hunting. Yeah. Because that's what seems to be when people walk That's what walk a lot of people lot. walk. Yeah, yeah. Which is a good time to walk. Yeah. But it's not the only time you should walk. No. Um, you may walk through a low bottom ground mm-hmm. and walk through it shed season wide open. I mean, 300 yards wide yeah. open. And think, 
huh, this is cool. I can see everything yeah. or, yeah. or, you know, whatever. But then to walk through it during the summer and you may be, what I see a lot is people say, oh, you ought to see it during, man, it's so thick down there in those bottoms. And in my head, I'm knowing what's, you know, wild golden glow. There's yep. wing stem. There's river oats. There's yep. bottle brush, rise. All kinds of different things that don't stinging stand nettle, up giant too ragweed. well. Stinging nettle, giant ragweed, big ones. Um, and you go, man, it's, there's, it's thick down there. You don't really want to walk in there. Well, guess what it looks like during the middle of the winter? October 15th. The if first you have, if hard you, if frost. If you have a frost, October 12th, October 15th. It is completely flat, and there is zero cover for the rest yeah. of the year until it greens up. Now, bottom ground typically the first to green up. Yeah, but if but but if you only know what that area looks like during January February time frame, you completely miss out and know that as it's one of the first places to grow up and get green as the soil temperatures rise there. Oh my gosh, you, that's that that's the first flush of green. That's where deer are hammering trying to get the first greens of the year. That's yeah. where turkeys are laying a lot of nests because there's cool season grasses down there. Like, it's a completely different area. Yeah. And it offers so many different things than just what you might see and observe during that one time frame of the year. It's completely diverse. Yeah, and I think bottom grounds are some of those that, man, so many places we work. Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska. Iowa. Iowa. Missouri. Miss- we North, a lot. Yeah, Missouri. Illinois. Um, you can get in those bottom ground and, and say, wow, this looks really good. Illinois is a big one, yeah. but just no cover, and it's like yeah. just, just, just do a little bit of timber stand improvement. Let's just cut the weed trees. Let's do mm-hmm. a crop tree release. At least get some structure on the ground. Yes, yes. But you never know that if you don't get off the buggy, you don't get off the roads at some point during the year. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, a couple times during sure. the year. Sure. And then, and then when you do this disturbance, whatever it may be. You have to go back. Yeah. Like you, it, it, you are, you are robbing yourself of so many learning opportunities when you don't go back and watch what happens and what comes back after a disturbance that you were the, were the cause of, whether that's the fire or that's the chainsaw or the logging operation. You want to learn about habitat management and what sunlight does and what disturbance does to plant communities. You gotta go back. You yeah, take to. the same walk and observe. Yeah, take, take maybe you wrote down what species were growing there um, prior to, and then you go back in there, and now you start looking, taking plant samples, taking photographs, whatever it is. Be a nerd. Who cares? You're gonna be surprised. You're gonna be wowed. You're gonna be impressed. But you have to do those types of things if you want to see, observe, and make critical decisions about what needs to happen. Yeah, and. So I, I just got done watching, as probably many of our listeners did, but watching this documentary on Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player Who's ever. Who's that? <laughs> yeah. He's he's the greatest of all time in the world of basketball. Wait, I thought LeBron was the best. No. <laughs> False. <laughs> but uh, the thing I – now, of course, grew up. That's why I like this documentary because I grew up watching Michael and – Michael Jordan. Not that we're on first name. I was basis. gonna say you you know him. <laughs> Dude, you know him. Oh goodness. But Michael anyway, I, I mean I grew up watching Carolina. Yeah. And I had season tickets <laughs> when I was not even born yet. Yeah. Um one thing you Fam- notice family is family friend. Okay. I think at some point he says, um 
he says something like, I think when people watch this, they're going to be like, man, you were kind of a tyrant. Like, you you were kind of a jerk. And he says something. He's like, well, that's because you never want anything. And his drive to Did be. Did you say one or one? One anything. Okay, gotcha. You never want anything. Yeah. And his drive to be the best was something that I think a lot of us should look at and be like, you know, if always you want to be the best, you want to try to strive to be the best at what you do. Yeah. And I think it's a good reminder that we should just try to be the best version of ourself. Yeah. The yeah. best, you know, if you're the greatest deer hunter in the world, but you're not the best husband in the world, you've, you've missed the point of this thing mm-hmm. we call life. But, um, when it comes to being the best manager of your farm, I was going to say, it comes back to putting in the work when you have the time, when you can, to do those uh, those little the devils in the details. You mm-hmm. got to do those little things that make you that give you that edge to make it better and better. And I think you know when we strive to kill the biggest buck on our farm, we miss the details that can ultimately result in ho- holding, growing, harvesting more good deer because we focus on the little things oh, that outdoor 100. television pours down us that you have to buy 100%. when really it could come back to just managing the land and make it the most productive landscape possible. I, I, as, as we talk with a lot of landowners from, from every, everywhere across the country, we always ask them, what are your goals? What are your goals? And I think outside of, let's say, the accomplishments that the property can provide us, I think one of the goals that that everyone should potentially consider to strive for is I own this property. How can I be the best landowner this property, these acres have seen to date? How yep. can I be that person? How can I learn more about the land? How can I learn more about what's gr- what grows here, what should grow here, what shouldn't grow here? How can I be the best landowner this property has ever seen to date and then pass it on when the time comes. How yeah. can I be that person? How can I sk- make My the biggest impact? Go off to you. It's, it's kind of like that, that phrase you. that I want to make it, leave it better than I found it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. F- you know, we've said this so many times, we'll say it again, but if we were to not do anything, if all we really focused on was food plots, tree stand blinds, all that stuff, um, <laughs> plant trees and put tubes on them. Yeah. Um, and something were to happen. Catastrophic or whatever. And we depart this world. And our kid takes that piece of ground. Mm-hmm. Two years after we leave, it's like the only thing that's left is the litter from our tree stands yeah. and our blinds and our tree tubes. Nothing else has made much of an improvement. If that's the way we're conducting ourselves as, you have, as you have air quote land managers, a little bit of old field, about two years worth of growth from yeah. your old food plots, but that's about it. Like, uh-huh. like you have you have tree stand straps blowing in the wind. That's yeah. it. That's it. Ch- chains growing in the trees. Yep. You have broken down blinds. Who knows? Depending on what kind of blind you got, hey, you may have that road system you used to drive too. Yeah, <laughs> spend too much time on <laughs> eroded away. Yeah, <laughs> now you got ditches. Yeah, and that's the issue that I have with modern day land management. Yeah, has turned into a 
it, it turned into a, a, a strictly food plot. Um, it's almost like magic placement. wand management where yeah. you just kind of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. Twirl a magic wand out there and say, this is what we're doing. We're going to kill big deer. Or you go in and you hinge cut the whole woods and yeah. the person is left with. Is there any money in the timber? And a logger says, <laughs> I don't know who was in there, but they ruined everything. Yeah. Or I'm not going in there. And you're going to be hard-pressed yeah. to find another guy to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it, it, it's a big responsibility. But but all can be summed up to you got to walk. You got to get out, get off the buggy, and use your eyes to tell you what needs to happen. Um, and and I think that would – this this is not a – at all, like you said earlier, it's not a it's not a – dig against any any people anybody at all it's just a it's a criticism to strengthen your knowledge as a landowner to know what to do to make those sometimes tough decisions of what needs to happen um on on properties disturbances are good man they're good yeah they i mean need to I, happen way more often way more often i, I want to see every every february march april that, that we drive across the country. I want to see more smoke in the air. I want to see more trees. I want to see more logging trucks going yeah. down, up and down Pr- the roads. Print your emails. <laughs> 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 yeah, I, it's just, uh, I want to, I want to be able to see that. And, because I, because I know the good that can come from it. If we What's, just observe. I think a big part about our podcast and people always comment. Oh, here, say here's what we're going to do. Our passion and we're how we how we present in a very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you we just present in a very passionate kind of way. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's and it's because I don't think I I think that what we know is what we've been told. Throw it out the window. What we've learned in the last have been told in the last 15 years or 30 years doesn't really help us too much in what we've now learned in the last 10 years because, you know, we're told food plots, we're told this, we're told that. When now we look at it and we're like, it really doesn't cost that much to grow big deer. It doesn't cost that much to manage the farm. It doesn't cost that much or it shouldn't cost. You don't have to have that to make quality food yep. plots. Yep. You don't have to um, dump all this money or hire this guy to to get the results you're looking for. We we have the tools. We we we've figured out how to make it better without costing a fortune. You you know one of the the, the most I guess like almost impactful things I think that a lot of people might be sitting at home thinking guys, I hear you. I want to make this impact, but I don't I don't have the ability to, to to go buy all these um, plants and go make this thing native and just crazy They're already. diverse. <laughs> that's that's the Hopefully. beauty of it. It's like most places that we go to, I would say 80% of them, most times there's not a recommendation that you need to plant a dang thing Yeah. outside of supplementing some food plots for, for the hunting side of it. But or adding managing, adding some other species that aren't meeting the goals that they wish, like adding native grasses into an old field because it's closer to the road and we're trying to screen eyeballs. Or yeah, yeah some, something like that. But we're talking bulk 80 grit management. 
if if you're like you were using what is there it might change the the shape of it may change completely we might be taking those elm trees or those maple trees and cutting them but you had elms and you had maples already we're just changing the 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 shape of them the condition of them and now you have something that is beneficial we don't have to go in and supplement su- supplementally plant things to make all this habitat great if you're working with native species we work with what you got yeah and that that should be empowering for sure i think it's just one of those things that um gosh i just you just don't know what you don't know and and you just kind of want to shake some people and be like ah give me five minutes just give me five minutes let's look at your farm and I promise you, I'm going to find holes in your system. Mm-hmm. I'm going mm-hmm. to find holes in your management. I'm going to find holes in your in your mindset yep. because you've got blinders on. They could oh. be deer goggles. They could yeah. be they could be product. Yeah, goggles. We'll just call them goggles. That. They could be whatever, but there's probably something missing. Yeah, yeah, Def- definitely. We all have holes in our armor. Or, oh, for sure. And in in life in general. And I think when it comes to land management, there's just so many things that we miss because it's well, like, gosh, let's just just give me a year of you managing it this way by my advice, and and let's sit back with an open mind and see what happens. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh I'm gonna say there's gonna be some change. <laughs> yeah. You better be okay. With it's some a very change. aggressive way. I think yeah. I think when we leave, but, but, a lot of our clients are going. Oh, that's a lot. To, that's a. I got a lot, a lot going on. But we give you the plan. We give you the, the timetable. Yeah, but here's the, here's the thing, a lot of people want to see some pretty drastic results. Yeah, a lot of people want to see these big changes. When when someone says to us, one of my goals, guys, is to restore some some native habitat and and, and get some of those great ecosystems back here on the property. Well, if it's if it's closed canopy forest and you want a savanna, well, yeah, it's gonna change. Or if your your site says it should be a savanna and that's in line with with the habitat recommendations we're gonna make, it's going to be some drastic change. So you you better be ready for it. But that doesn't mean it's always on your shoulders to do it. But we just have to be okay with knowing at the end of it what we see. We're not always going to observe it in that manner. Yeah, and, and that's get off that road. Open those eyes. <laughs> yeah, wash that windshield. Yeah. Wash those side <laughs> windows. <laughs> don't no, actually don't wash them. So maybe they'll get so cloudy you have to get out and just walk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't drive in the same tire tracks because if you're driving the same tire tracks, I know that your eyes are just going straight ahead. They're straight ahead. Yeah, it's it it, it, it it's you can't. I'll try to be figuratively here. You can't be like on a straight narrow path management wise until you've observed the whole farm. Like yeah. like if you're only driving your roads, you're on straight and narrow, that's that's not getting you anywhere fast, but maybe to your blind. But but outside of that, we're talking management, you've gotta you've gotta go wrap your head around the boundary, walk your head on around all the slopes, the aspects, the drainages, and you better you better be observing what's what's taking place, what's not taking place, what needs to take place to make some big changes. What about observations from food plots? Because no matter what we talk about, 
the fact that food plots are supplemental. We, we, we know that, believe that, manage around that principle. Food plots are supplemental. But, but there are some absolute key observations here at this window. June, what, gosh, this could May through June. June. But this is going to release June 2nd, right? Yeah. So there's, there's some observations right now that you should be probably making or be aware of in the potential of your food plots. Um, you saw, well, Chad, Chad was planting the other day, but you had some time down there on the farm and saw some stuff in I food plots. I got plant part of one food plot Woo-hoo. in my time. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah. but but let's let's kind of go through those observations, and I don't know as we se- like a segue into it. How many times, like, if driving around with gravel road or um, get from A to B anywhere on the property, it's like, oh, stop, stop, we gotta look at that, we gotta look at that. Like that happens all the time. Yeah, I don't ever get anything done <laughs> because it observing really, too much. It's like whoa. That and I, and I'll give you a, a little short story that has nothing to do with food plots. But the other day I was driving by that woodland area that we talk about, yep. kind of woodland savanna. Which you, you took a video of driving past. Yep, yep. On so social it's on media. social media. Um, but I was driving along and by now I'd say there's most plants that are that have a real showy flower that I don't recognize. Yeah. I was driving along and I kind of did one of these rubberneck moments like, yeah. That was a strange color. I don't yeah. see that color. Yeah. I know the colors of flowers that bloom around here. At this time window. And that's not one that I generally yeah. see. So I whip it over in one of the logging logging decks. I walk over there and I'm like, it's what, two flowers. What is you? One of them looked like a poppy. Mm-hmm. But it was bright, bright like yellow-orange. Okay. Okay. And I'm like, that's weird. And I look at the other one. It kind of looks like... The flocks that everybody sees, it's generally kind of blue or violet yep. or purplish. And I'm like, huh, I don't know that one either. Took two pictures of them, and I get back down to Chad, and I said, hey, I don't know what's growing up there on the hill, but I'm a little bit concerned. Looks like a poppy, and the other one looks like an orange flocks. And he goes, yeah, that's the ones I was telling you about the other day. I said, oh, that's, that's the spot? And he goes, yeah, remember that's where Dad flew out Throughout those wildflower packets that he oh, got from whatever, gotcha. from like yeah. Cheerios, or whatever. Cheerios box, yeah. <laughs> and one of them was Western poppy or okay. California poppy, I can't remember. Um, and the other one was something else, but they're kind of like common, native more to the West Coast, mm-hmm. but common in landscaping. Got it. Got it. And I'm like. Thing has nothing to do. It has no reason to be on that yeah, hillside. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, if I wasn't paying attention, you I would have drove, drove right, right by. Drove it. right past. And somebody yeah. could have seen it later and be like, "Oh, there's Western poppy or whatever." Yeah. I was like, "Well, that really wasn't here. Yeah. That was brought yeah. in." Yeah. And that's why it's kind of crucial to, if you are planting natives, try to find the ones that are native to your area, your not just native to the U.S. But yeah, it's like as much as I love. Um, aspen trees. You're, we're not going to go. And you're not going to go see me down here and, and, and putting a bunch of aspen some in. saplings in there. Yeah. yeah, no way. But you know, when it gets when we get into food plots, um, 
there's just so much to learn and so much to observe with all those. But before we really get jumping into them, uh, we just want to once again thank our partners that make this possible. Um, First Light. Yeah. Ooh, man. Awesome gear. Um, really. Real quick, what is your favorite piece of clothing? Probably the Obsidian Pants. Yeah, those are good. Those are um, real good. I I am grown very very fond of those. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's hard to say. I love if it, I love the sawmill, the hybrid sawmill yeah, or yeah. Saw sawtooth, sawtooth, yeah. sawtooth. Sorry, I was thinking of sawmill hauler. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I, I that's probably probably my favorite jacket. Yeah. But the obsidian um, merino pants are the ones that I've grown very mm-hmm. very fond of. From a from a top, and, and this I'm just going straight season right now, and this is a I guess a new release for this year is the Ranger top. Mm, yeah, gosh, that's a good shirt, man. It's lightweight, breathable, buttoned down, so it's got a collar. Wear it consulting, can wear it hunting. Uh, we wore it a lot this spring, and uh, man, that's a nice, nice shirt. I love that one. Yeah, and so guys, if you haven't heard of First Light, go check it out. Firstlight.com. That's F I R S T L I T E dot com. Um, really, really awesome stuff. Matt and I are hooked after using it for a full year. Sitting in the, both struggle to stay warm. Stayed very warm this fall. Stayed comfortable this spring. Check them out. So, when we talk about food plots, we're going to talk specifically about the Legacy Blend from Stratton Seed Company. Um, for for a lot of reasons, but it's a fall food plot blend. Yeah. So Tw- up, up up north, you're planting early August. Down yeah. south, you're planting mid late September, potentially yeah. how how far south you are. So it's kind of that cycle of we're going to plant in the fall. It's going to mm-hmm. be green and very productive during the during hunting season. Yep. It's going to grow, and then next spring, getting ready for soybeans or whatever heritage blend bonafide yeah. something <coughs> corn yep um and so you know fall blends are probably more popular than spring blends yeah yeah and you know there's there's your general you know turnips wheat oats mm-hmm. the common ones that you yeah. see a lot cereal rye becoming more popular um and <laughs> Daikon, like gopher radishes, yeah. the big radishes, have been, they got popular a couple of years ago. Winter peas are still pretty popular. There's all kinds of different ones. Um, so that's the gist. You know, you plant it in late summer. And, and a lot of people are just planting one or maybe two to three of you, the combination. You, you, you combination might see turnips and rape mixed together. You yeah. might see... Um, turnips, radishes, and rape mixed together, yep. or you might see oats and peas, or whatever. Yep. Um, but the legacy blend, I mean, not to give anything away, but this is kind of one of our first big ones that we created, and we called it the legacy blend. <laughs> um, <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> and so we took some of the things, and this has been going on for years now, um, as more and more research was coming out on soil health and learning that, you know, if it's not six species or more, then it's really not that productive for improving soil health. So we're like, we have to be six or more. Talking talking cover crops, studying cover yep. crops. Yeah, and so 
if you are interested in soil health, you need to look for one that's got more than six six species in it, because um, even if it's five, it's not any more. It's not any better than one uh, from a lot of the research. And so this one actually has twelve uh, twelve species, and you know we've covered it before, but real quick, I'll say it's got crimson clover, it's got balanza clover, uh, bursine clover, Austrian winter peas triticale, um, winter wheat, cereal rye, oats, radish, turnips, uh, like a bold purple top turnip, rape, seed, and then a hybrid turnip. So that's the 12. Um, the big 12. And we're going to talk specifically in this podcast on the annual clovers. Oh, wait. Repeat, please. Did you say annual clover i said annual clovers so there's a lot of people who might have been like wait there are annual clovers out there and absolutely there are but man they don't get any of the spotlight i I feel like your your ladino durana patriot synergy your white clover is like the only thing people tend to talk about when it comes to clover in food plots, which perennial species. Yep. Hey, those are those can be great. Those are cool. We, we love the revival blend. Sure. Which is perennial, perennial yep. two types of perennial clover, alfalfa and chicory. Yep. We love it. But there are a lot of times when annual clover is a better fit. Mm. And annual clover is just something that I think you know, five years ago, there wasn't much about annual clover. No, no. Um, and I think probably the first one that hit the scene was crimson clover. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and everyone who's like, crimson clover, I know I've heard that. If you've seen food plots in the spring that have a red flower, a bloom about 8, 10 inches off the ground, probably pretty good guess that's your crimson Go clover. Go down south on the side, on the roadways. Oh, yeah. Every, everywhere. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. In mixes, and I remember I had a couple of debates with people who love crimson clover, mm-hmm. and they were planting entire food plots in crimson clover. Yep. Being an annual, I said crimson clover is great for two weeks. Yeah. And in the spring, it's great early in the spring for two weeks. And the, it, it and puts, it's it puts probably a, flower a little bit longer. Quick. Yeah. But come. But if you have a monoculture of of, of Throw it out the window. Yeah. It's it, you're going to have dead zone, like mm-hmm. uh, especially if you're looking for a 12 month food plot blend, sure. because you'll have crimson clover and it'll look great in spring. Somewhere in May, June, it's going to be just nothing but brown leafy yep. stems that just kind of lay there until you get some rain in August, and then all of a sudden it starts Pop. popping back up. Soil temp gets and right, and then it looks great. Mm-hmm. Um, but during that course of the summer, it looks pretty awful. And I want to stop right there real quick. Is you just were talking about the reseeding potential of Absolutely. crimson clover. So even as annual species, an annual is going to produce a seed head, if not mowed or clipped or sprayed or whatever, will produce the seed head, produce seeds that mature, and then those seeds will fall off and lay on the soil when the conditions get right. Those seeds will germinate and then begin to grow again. So crimson clover is a species where you can plant it once, and if it's allowed to go and reach maturity, 
you have the option, the potential to to just let it stay kind of idle, and yep. then it will reseed itself in the fall. So a lot of other annual clovers have that potential though too. Yep. So and so it kind of acts as a perennial. Yeah. And so it's pretty cool. Yeah. But it's not something I rely on. I wouldn't go out. If I were to pick these three, we're talking crimson clover, and in the legacy blend, we're talking balanza, the fixation mm-hmm. variety, mm-hmm. and the frosty bursine variety. Yes. If I were to pick the, take those three, set them on the table, and say, okay, which one am I looking for um, in a monoculture? I wouldn't want any of them in a monoculture. If I you know by now, no. I don't. I but no. crimson, if I was going to be pinned in a corner and I had to pick pick the the monoculture of the three, crimson's the out of a ranking of one, two, and three, crimson's ranking number three. Yeah, absolutely. Because it just has a... Uh, when we talk about fixation of nitrogen, we talk about uh, growth, vegetation, fo- forage, fo- yep. everything... Blooming potential, although it does bloom very, very well. You look at these other clovers; the amount of actual flowering heads on them, and the and the, the height, yeah, no fixation. Unreal. The blancet. I think in some studies they've gotten it to where it sprawls out eight feet across the ground. Yes, that doesn't happen with Fr- crimson from clover. From one root system. From one root system, well, and well, these are all three annuals, which it sounds yes. just crazy, but um, I think the best phrase that I have for. Uh, annual clovers is make hay when the sun shines. And it, oh, when you have sure. the conditions, those things grow like crazy. Um, but we've noticed through the course of the last two months, kind of really observing, I think when you look at a fall blend, you shouldn't just look for that two-month window. I of hate saying, the name, honestly, fall blend. Yes. Uh, let's just call it the legacy blend. It's not just the fall because yeah. – it's rocking and if, rolling. If you look at a fall, a typical fall blend, I think we all look for, is it going to be green in October and November? <laughs> yeah. Here's, here's my demands. Yeah. Is it going to be green in October yeah. or November? Are the deer going to eat it? Yeah. Are they going to be standing in my food plot broadside <laughs> 30 yards yeah. so I can yeah. shoot them? Like, Missing the window. Short-term yeah. goal versus long-term goal. Yes. Perfect example. Right, coming right here at you. So... You can have your cake and eat it, too, if you plant something with diversity. Yeah. Like, we have 12 species in this, highly attractive during the fall, weather-dependent. Yep. Um, but keep in mind that the for some of us in mid-Missouri, northern Kentucky, north, yep. are going to deal with a high stress period during late winter, early spring. Mm-hmm. And if you're planting a food plot that's, let's just say, brassicas, because that's kind of a big one where, ooh, it's going to look amazing during October and November. December 1, if it they was haven't, toast. If they haven't eaten them all by then, eaten all the green f- foliage, or it's breaking down and decomposing, yep. there's not much being provided in a brassica monoculture in February, March. I'll tell you what your food plot's going to look like. Mud and... Deer tracks and, and rot turnips. turnips. And ro- yeah. And if, rot the, turnips. if they're not eaten. Yes. And it's going to be a stinky mess. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why we advise so much of planting diversity where you at least have some species that can take that, that browse pressure as well as survive the winter 
and uh, be ready to start growing early in the spring to provide that forage for the mm-hmm. wildlife, especially white-tailed deer. And I think when you look at these three annual clovers, crimson clover is a phenomenal species in this blend because it does start greening up early in the in the in the it greens up better than the other two yeah yeah absolutely it does but again perfect example that's why you have diversity coming out of that window crimson clover it plays a role like when we're talking managing outside of food plots we're talking managing plant communities because these communities all have roles or the species that make up the community have roles at different times yeah same thing in the food plot take that same principle of nature, apply it to a food plot. Crimson clover does that. If you were to plant just a monoculture and did you just did the test, you're going to see that crimson clover comes out and goes crazy in early spring. It's strong. And now, if you pl- you had a ten foot row of uh, crimson, then you had a ten foot row right next to it of balanza, you'd be like, "Wow, it's sure beating the heck out of balanza," and then about the time the crimson's blooming, you're going to see balanza start coming on strong. You're like, wait a se- wait, wait, wait a second. Mm-hmm. That balanza, like, like oh, that balanza's coming on. Boy, look at this bursim. It's not doing nothing. Yeah. And you, it's just kind of a little bit over there. It's waiting, not doing great. Waiting, And balanza, so then all of a sudden you're like, whoa. It's like the crimson came out in a sprint, and mm-hmm. here comes balanza running a little bit of a marathon pace. Yeah. And you're like, oh, man. It's going to kick its butt. It's going to be way better. And there goes Crimson. It's kind of matured, ran its course. Here comes Balanza. And for about two, three weeks, it's going crazy. And you're like, I love Balanza. It's amazing. Um, And then you're going to look at Bersim and go, wait, 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 wait a second. Who's this guy coming up, bringing up the yeah. rear? And it's that here. horse in the in the yes. race that you, that's way in the back. He's coming around. Corner and then all four. of a sudden, he's coming corner four, and you're like, yep. I don't, I don't like the looks of this. Yeah, he's, he's got coming some on. Steam. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden, he just, Bolts. you know, if you were to just Bolts. not plant soybeans, not plant corn, not do anything, no spray and no mowing, nothing, and you were to just let this blend sit. You're going to, of course, we're not even talking about all the other ones that are in it. All yeah. the other cereal grains. And yeah. M- mind you, mind you, there's nine other things in here. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And out of these three, you're going to see that crimson start to dwindle. You're going to see um, balanza start really gaining steam, blooming like crazy. Buzzing. Branching. Oh. Just, you know, I tried to pull. I've got a, we've got a video coming of the, of these three. And I tried to pull one of these balanza. Root one system. individual plant with yeah. root system. How many I liters? Inter- tw- I, I forget how many. It was at least eight. Mm-hmm. I had to, like, unbraid yeah. Yeah. other balanza clover in it so I could pull it all out in one unit. Wow. Because it's just going nuts. And, you know, and then I pulled out Frosty Brasim, and Fro- Frosty looks a lot like alfalfa to me. Mm-hmm. Some yep. varieties of kind alfalfa. Kind of serrated little edges. It's yeah. just like more of a, a lo- like skinny lobe mm-hmm. leaf, but it grows up straight, and it's got like four stems, and most of them on average. You're like, that looks kind of like alfalfa. But the balance is going nuts. It's blooming like crazy. Brasim hadn't even started blooming yet. I think yeah. I saw one bloom on this plant, and, I mean... <laughs> Crimson clover's done. It's it's mm-hmm. this. I mean, you can already start ripping the seed head apart in individual right. seeds, but 
balance is going crazy. And so, you know, for me, if if you're looking at, okay, soybeans are going in the ground and I want everything to be terminated um, to where it's just soybeans growing, I'm not sure balance and bursim are what you want. But going back to the first part of this podcast, I'd like five minutes conversation to tell you why that's not a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Because, 100, 100%. think about it. Just just think about it. Not Th- like this goes back to the whole title of the podcast. Open your eyes. You're a land manager. Yeah. Like, uh, food plots are supplemental. If they're supplemental, they need to be occupying a time frame that's critical. If yeah. they're supplementing your native habitat, then the food plots you're planting to get the most bang for your buck. If you're spending $300 an acre, it better to address a, a pretty critical time frame. Yeah. And so then you go into your podcast with Kip where you're talking about antler development. And I think you said most antlers are developed or, for the most part, 80% by mid-June. 50% 50 mid-June. Okay. Going into July, yeah, you're you're pushing 60, 70, 80% at this time. But, yeah, we're talking antler development. Winter soybeans are the best. Winter soybeans where you're just like, look at all that forage. Uh, Late July. After. Yes, after. As as the – now they're hardening their antlers, so you have dry. soybean fields and you fence them off to keep the pressure out. What are you doing? Yeah, you, you're 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 taking a valuable resource and opening, and you're eliminating deer th- the ability to to utilize it. Oh, now no, we're no, no, now no, we're no. just doing. Now you're saving just for late season. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but these fences these fences are a quarter acre, and they're yeah. gonna demolish those before late season. So. That's a bigger issue. We've got bigger issues if you have to fence it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but then you you think about planting in, trying to protect those young soybeans to where, say it's cereal rye or oats or wheat or something sticking up. You're trying to bush hog it and create stubble to where they're not going to overbrowse your your soybeans. Mm-hmm. What what else are they going to eat then? What they you're still not allowing them to utilize this opening. On your farm. Yeah. If you mix in, you have annual clovers and you have not yet terminated them, they're providing more forage than they could ever eat unless you have a horrible deer herd, um, high deer herd numbers. So if you allow these annual clovers to be part of your food plot system, you're allowing to have food available right into when now soybeans are really flourishing and really providing tons of forage. But I think we missed the boat with early spring no forage because we planted a monoculture of turnips. Mm-hmm. They've overbrowsed it. Then we went to a species like soybeans. They're going to take a little while to grow. Or, and Or you've planted a very heavy blend that has a lot of rye in it and uh, not some other cereal grains that rye is the first one to bolt out yeah. of the spring. It does it super early. It gets a very stalky lignin content in it. Stimmy. There's no food value there at all. Yeah. It looks big. It looks giant. And you're like, wow, look how big that got. It's not food. And it's if that's a, your best it's cover, It's a spaghetti then noodle. Yeah. It's blowing in the wind up there. <laughs> but it's like that. With a seed head that they don't even eat. I know it. Unless Compared to wheat. Yeah. Wheat or oats <laughs> or triticale. It's. We have to. It, this goes back to knowing the species, knowing the knowing the varieties, knowing what role they play and when they play it. Cereal rye at that time frame doesn't do anything. It looks big and looks good, 
but it doesn't really mean anything to wildlife. Soybeans, you can't like plant them earlier to make them more beneficial for antler development because they won't grow. Like like it, you just yeah. can't you can't re you can't adjust. beat the system. Yeah, like it, it's it's just know the system, embrace the system, and plant accordingly. You know, like how planting them, plant soybeans earlier doesn't mean they get taller. <laughs> Yeah, or grow more <laughs> antler because <laughs> they peek out of the ground and they get zapped by frost. It's yeah. going to happen. Yeah. Or they get flooded. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, anyhow. You know, like when you plant a fall blend and you're like always checking on it, like, okay, I planted you. Are you popping? Are you coming? Like, let me see it. Let me monitor it. Like those next like five, six days after planting and you have adequate rain or soil moisture, you're like, oh man, I just can't wait to see it start coming. Do you have that same excitement of food plots in the spring? Like, are you out there monitoring, looking, wow, look at all this stuff that's happening in the food plot. Look at all the the pollination. Look at all the forage. Look at all the nitrogen fixation. You haven't even mentioned that. No. On these annual clover. You haven't gotten there. Look at the reseeding potential. Look at the organic matter. Look at all of it. Oh, my gosh. It's crazy. Are you doing that in the spring? Because although it's called a fall blend, you just described we've got incredible annual clovers that are coming strong into June. Oh, yeah. A month and a half from now in a lot of places – up north. They're going to be planting fall brassicas. Like it's it, it, it's it's mind-boggling to have a blend that that hits a time frame from planting to to when it self-terminates in middle of June that it is that good, that beneficial and always has something that's growing. And these are annual species. But from a wildlife standpoint, if my native habitat is rock and rolling, do I even need spring annual mixes? Do I need to plant soybeans? Do I need all yeah. of that? If I have if I have adequate woody brows mm-hmm. for the winter time frame, winter stress yep. periods, and then I have a lot of old, old field, field, early successional habitat, young forest, and I'm planting a blend similar to this or the legacy blend, I don't need the other stuff. So you're telling me I can cut cost right there in half in food plots, have have benefit from germination to termination from from mid August to mid June with one blend and all my other stuff is rocking? Yeah. Absolutely. I say that confidently. You don't you don't need the other stuff. Yeah. You don't have to, I you think don't have to if, have it. if time is a limited factor for you, this is probably a really good opportunity for you to plant something that's gonna cover as many months out of the year as possible sure. to where you could probably get away with not having to plant a spring food plot and still have <coughs> f- groceries on the table. Why have why have annual clovers, the, di- the multiple different varieties, why have they not gotten the fame? Why are they not as sexy in the whole food plot world? They will be. Give it time. <laughs> I mean, just like I mean they're relatively new. So five years from now... Hinge cutting will be put on the shelf, and annual clovers will be the new fad. <laughs> Hashtag fake news. <laughs> I mean, it, I think the, the uh, potential though they're is not as sexy there. as as the 
the white clovers of the world because red clover doesn't even get as much press as it no. should. Oh no, it does not. Um, June, yeah, red clovers rocking. Yeah, I mean, you should if you have a perennial perennial clover mix, you should have a perennial red clover included because it peaks when white clover's going a little bit dormant, mm-hmm. and so you could fill that gap midsummer forage, but. Um, the annual clovers, I don't I don't know why they're not as popular. They should be because they're pretty I, awesome. I mean, we're talking about just the three, and you jump right over the Emerge blend, and that's pretty much it. Oh, uh, here's, here's – I'll, I'll get into this in a second. But I think that a lot of the the introduction of, of annual clovers has come in from cover cropping situation as well as a cattle um, basis, the, in those industries, and will soon make its way into – more predominantly the wildlife type blends but um it's it's new it's fun it's cool and they are incredible even though there's a lot of things to eat out there right now when you're talking about maintaining openings to have them in food the more time frame the more months out of a year you can span that have beneficial forage the better yeah. Annual clover should be a part of that. If you're planting in the fall, it should be a part of a fall blend. Absolutely. Yep. We're t- we're, or we're literally talking nine and a half months, not if, if not even ten months. In some places, this Balance has put up 200 pounds of nitrogen per acre. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, that's a nitrogen. Or that's a fertilizer bill you don't have to yeah. worry about. Oh, for sure. When when uh, well, when Chad was planting, he pulled up some of the root systems, and you can visibly, very clearly, easily see lots of nodes. Yeah. On the root systems, like wow, holy mm-hmm. cow, that's incredible. I think another thing to hit on on why you plant three or why you plant, you know, we've got three in this mix, but why you plant. A diversity of species is mm-hmm. because, depending on your soil type or your soil pH, your soil fertility, one species may do better than the other. And it's kind of that teammate mentality where oh, sure. if even if conditions aren't favorable, like it's drier or it's wetter than usual, one of those species or a couple of those species are still going to do fine because they like it a little bit wetter or they like it a little bit drier. Yeah. And they're going to come along and then the other ones are almost nursed along with them because they're kind of lean on each other. They help each other out. And that's why you plant these three or you have the three in the legacy blend and not just one. Mm-hmm. Because if it was just if it was just crimson clover, we couldn't sit here and tell people, you can probably get away with planting this in the fall and not have to worry about a spring planting um, in certain instances or not be as stressed about getting to the farm and planting because oh, i got to get in the ground, my deer are going to mm-hmm. starve. Well, there's still plenty of forage. Yep. And yep. if it was just crimson, you couldn't have that. No. no because it it's going pretty well dormant now. Or di- dying, I guess. It's not even going dormant. It's, do- it's, 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 it's ran dead. its course. It's dead. Yeah. And uh, Balanza and Brasim just really rocking. You know what? You can't see this if you're in your buggy. Nope, sure can't. <laughs> you can't 
observe these things if you're not out studying being a student of your own work essentially again this is like lifelong lifelong learner if you're cutting a tree go back and see what happens i i walked i walked the 160 yesterday yesterday i guess it was pretty intense fire had gone through that that area oh like, yeah trees died um the response wow super incredible really really awesome in a lot of areas it's like this area is getting adequate sun you step over outside of that where there's more canopy yep nope there go there goes all the the vegetation it's just kind of wide open but in the right areas yeah it's done awesome but Mm -hmm. you just you don't know unless you go walk it you don't know unless you see it and then you you take time to observe there's i didn't walk a road I just got off the main road as quickly as possible to go and see and inspect things. I know, uh, shoot, your your dad and Chad love to walk. <laughs> I just walk from w- just wherever. Just like, well, we'll just go over there. Oh, okay. The heck with you, because I like to walk too. Well, you yes. said your dad and your brother Everyone like to walk. Everyone knows you like to walk. Well. But it's like Take you tubby. don't you don't <laughs> you don't get. You don't get to appreciate a property for what it is if you're just riding around on the buggy. No. You miss out on some of the amazing stuff that occurs. So much. Yeah. Yeah. I, I man, I just can't I can't get over it. Each time we we plant the legacy blend and you know for you guys it's retail about forty bucks. No, it's about forty nine bucks. Yeah, forty nine. About forty nine bucks. So it's about 95 to 100 bucks per acre, mm-hmm. which is about, oh, there's several others that I can think of that are about 120 to 150, but, um, and I mean, it's a 12 species mix, so the bounty hunter ends up being, I think, 50 bucks per acre. Yes. But it only has six species in it, I believe. Um, and so it's cheaper, but man, if you can get, if you could, you could honestly save money by planting the legacy blend and not planting a, spr- a spring blend. Sure. And still have sure. plenty of forage. So kind of depends on what your goals are. But, man, that legacy blend and those specifically those three. We'll, we'll have a video probably on the root systems of the cereal grains and the diversity of those later on. But uh, And while I'm on that, go over to our YouTube channel and check out Land and Legacy. And please subscribe. Um, a lot of videos going on there right now. Uh, as we get into out of turkey season, now you're going to see a lot more habitat management. stuff and yep. uh, management tips. So, um, anyway, uh, Matt, you got anything to add before we? I just hope everyone enjoyed the the podcast. Um, kind of takes it to to heart. And um, remember that your greatest tool, your greatest management asset, is your eyes. Get outside and your see mind and observe. Yeah, I mean, you have to have the skills uh-huh. to be able to, to interpret what you see. But if you can't but see starts, it, you don't know. you, you got to be able to see it. Yeah. You have to. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we will catch you next week. See you.